Today, we're continuing uh, our journey through Acts. And I know it seems like a, a bit that we've been here. And I kind of talked with the kids about the story that we just left or we just finished up. But this is a continuation of what happened. So we're going to start and we're going to read some scripture. We're going to pray and pray for the spirit to move through it. And then we're going to we're going to talk about what God has for us today. So if you turn in your Bibles or read along on the screen, we're going to Acts chapter eight now. Acts chapter 8 in our uh, scripture today as we go into um, the next portion here of the story God has for us. This is Saul the Persecutor is what the title of mine says, and yours might say something different. But as we read through this from the CSB version, here's what mine says. Let's look at it together. Saul agreed with putting him to death. Now, this is Stephen. Remember what we, this, the story where we were. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house. He would drag off men and women and put them in prison. So those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said. As they listened and saw the signs he was performing. For unclean spirits crying out with a voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And the final verse says, so there was a great joy in the city. Before we talk much on this, let's pray over God's word for us. God, today, thank you that your word speaks loudest of all. Father, may we be a church, a people that ground our roots of everything that we do from your word. Father, may we see application, not just for knowledge's sake, but Father, help us to take the knowledge to a wisdom, uh, Father, a place of wisdom where we act and move based on what your word says. Let our lives be a reflection of what we learn and what your word has for us. And Father, may you speak through me as we discuss this scripture today. Father, we pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. So here we are at this next section. Stephen, this random, no, I'll take it back. This normal is more, more appropriate. This normal guy, Stephen, was selected to be this deacon in the church to help meet the needs of uh, widows in the church who were not getting proper, uh, their proper needs met. They weren't getting fed. They were starving to death. So Stephen was one of seven men that were selected to go and meet the needs in the church. And Stephen doing this was selected, who was an upright man, who a, a man of good moral character, who met good Christian standards, right? The church chose him. The church was charged by the elders in the church. Hey, you guys, we need about seven guys, seven guys in the church that are good and trustworthy men who have a good reputation they can go out and meet the needs in the church. Meet some needs, especially the widows in the church who are not getting fed. 
Stephen was the first one, first name chosen, or first name mentioned in our scripture. And he goes and he does meet the needs of the church, but he goes above and beyond and he's sharing the gospel in the process. He's not going quietly with his head down and offering a basket of food and walking away. He's going in on his journey to feed continuously and to, to, to do this ministry in the church. He is sharing the gospel in such an impactful way that the Jewish leaders are getting wind of this. Crowds essentially start coming. And the Jewish leaders don't, don't like it. So, like they've tried to in the past, they try to nip it in the bud before it becomes a bigger problem. And ultimately, they're saying, we're going to make an example out of this Stephen guy. We're going to bring him in. Well, you know the story, if you've been here for the past few weeks and been in, this, in the journey through Acts chapter 7, Stephen stands before the Sanhedrin, all these Jewish leaders, and instead of being intimidated and standing back and um, making excuses, instead, he steps up and he shares this, the gospel, essentially, in such an effective way that these men are convicted. These men are infuriated because they are ultimately convinced that they're guilty of murdering Jesus. They're guilty of doing the exact same thing that their ancestors had done, that they studied, that they were assured that would not happen again, and history repeated itself. And not just killing of a righteous man, but killing of the righteous one, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. And they ultimately are convinced, okay, they're, 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 they have nothing else to say. Stephen preaches it so powerfully that they are like uh, reflections of hell on earth. They're gnashing their teeth. You remember the description that Jesus gave of what hell's going to look like? There's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, the scripture says that the Jewish leaders, the religious models, role models for everybody, are looking the opposite of what heaven should look like, and they're gnashing their teeth so mad at Stephen. And they get so mad to the point where not only are they looking like hell on earth, but they're also looking extremely childish and immature because they're covering their ears and they're screaming so they don't have to hear him anymore. Just like little children would do, la, 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 screaming, ah, right? Well, they're so mad and they lose all moral character that they would have and they would look like hell on earth and rush at Stephen. They would pounce on him essentially, drag him out of, out into the city, right? And it would, they wouldn't even do a public trial as Jewish law would require. They would skip that process, break all laws, as these men are called the keepers of the law. They would do the opposite. They would break the law, break all moral character, and they, they essentially lost their minds. Stephen, who was empowered by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit speak through him in such a powerful way, just a normal dude, a normal guy, Right? Not someone that's been highly educated and, and studied other great high priests. And all. No, just a normal guy, just like us. God used in such an amazing way that he, we've been studying about him, he would become the first Christian martyr. 
He would be the one who would be stoned, who would be executed, publicly executed, by these men. And not only that, we find out that Saul is overseeing the operation. A young man named Saul, a man in the prime of his life, who had been studying under Gamaliel, under the greatest priests, who had been interning, essentially, to learn um, the great ways of being a great Jewish religious leader. He was on a trajectory to ultimately become um, on the same level as the Gamaliels of the great uh, priests, high priests. So Saul, he's there. He's in this moment. People are laying their coats or their cloaks or their robes or, uh, at, his, at his feet. He's essentially trusted by all the men to be the ones that oversee or that are watching their garments. He's the one standing back overseeing the operation. We see at this point, Saul is um, making his name known as the great persecutor. The great persecutor of Christians. He took great pride in going home to home and dragging Christian men and women, believers in Jesus. He would go home to home, ultimately, uh, and pull these men out of their homes, and men and women. Saul agreed, verse 1, chapter 8. Saul agreed with putting them to death. Now, it wasn't just, okay, you can do that, I guess. I guess I'll let you do it and watch these men do it. It's more, it wasn't this consenting. Saul didn't just consent to it. Instead, he was one that took pleasure in seeing it. In the way that this word is translated, it wasn't just a consent, a passive consent with it, but he's taking pleasure in seeing what's going on. It's almost as if he's coaching and he's rooting them on with them stoning Stephen. So Saul is taking this position as this overseer of the operation that's coaching these men in killing, in murdering this man who did not deserve it but would become the first Christian martyr, someone who would die for what they believe in. And this happening sparks an outrage, essentially, from Christian believers, and that's the biggest talk that's going on around the, the Christian community. He took pleasure in seeing Stephen murdered. And on that day, as the, as the scripture continues, on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. On that day, a severe persecution broke out um, against the church in Jerusalem. So in this moment, this is what kind of tipped the scale and caused all the men and women of uh, believers in Jesus to be sought after. It was almost, and I heard a, 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 a pastor say it this way, it was kind of similar to uh, Nazi Germany at the time, as they would go door to door and try to find the Jews, right? That's kind of the scene that you're seeing with these men going door to door, trying to find Christian believers, believers in Jesus. And in the process of doing that, the church gets scattered. 
Because this is a little while after the church starts to grow. A little while after, right, um, the Holy Spirit makes its grand entrance in the upper room. So now the believers are spreading and they're able to spread without this great fear of persecution. They're not afraid of what's happening around because they're able, they're given a little leeway, these Jesus believers, right? These Christians are given a little leeway, they're given space and they're going out and sharing the gospel kind of on the outer fringe of um, the religious leaders. Well, now they're like, they're not given any space at all. They're going into the homes and they're pushing them out of their homes. It's as if these men and women are, they're, they're just, when they come into the door, they're running out the back door with all they can get their hands on and the clothes on their back. And they're running to other cities and other places. And we're going to see this happen. And we, as we continue reading the scripture, on that day a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all, except the apostles, and we're going to see that the apostles are staying there, they were all scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. And that's an interesting thing to think of because um, Jewish law, it, it, it prevented any mourning, public mourning of someone that had been executed. So you're not allowed to, to weep and to have any type of mourning at all for someone that deserved to die. But they're so devout, even though they were Jews, right? They were believers, and they were showing that, showing that, they were, that, that this message of Jesus Christ is making an impact. And great lamentation is what some scriptures would say. They lamented publicly over him. And in the process of this happening, in verse 4, Saul was ravaging. Saul was ravaging the church. And you can see this. It's like a movie script playing out, right? Saul ravaging the church. He would enter house to house, drag off men and women, and put them into prison. Saul is... This word ravaging, this is the only time in the New Testament that that word is used. The only time, the only time that that word is uh, used in this, in this context. It's the same word that would be used, that could be translated as uh, like an army destroying a city. Or a wild animal, a wild boar, let's say, tearing in at its meat. Is what it Just going crazy, destroying all around. He would viciously attack these Christians. And it doesn't say specifically in this passage, but he would attack Christians and women. If we go and we would look at uh, chapter 9, verse 1, and 22 and 4, and 26 and 10, we're going to see some examples of himself telling on himself exactly what he did after he would make his transformation into Paul. But in, that, in, in 9, he said... Saul was still breathing, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So he wouldn't just imprison them. He would murder them. He would attack them. In, verse, in chapter two, 22, verse 4, he says this. Look what he says here. I don't know if we have that up on the screen. Yeah, we do. I'll just do this. It'll be faster. I persecuted this way to the death. 
arresting and putting both men and women in jail. So not only is he going and arresting and dragging and putting them in the prison, he was murdering. Murdering any man or woman that claimed to be Christian. And then the next one in verse, uh, chapter 26, verse 10, it says, I actually did this in Jerusalem. I locked up many of the saints in prison since I received the authority from the chief priests. When they were put to death, I was in agreement with them. So Saul is not just the persecutor of dragging people putting in prison. He's murdering. This is an awful scene. An awful scene where they, Christians are murdered publicly so that fear would, fear would spread and this whole growth of Christianity would stop. Saul thought he's got this figured out. He's going to be the great uh, Jewish leader that stops this cult uprising about this, this man named Jesus who claimed to be the son of God. I'm going to be the one that stops this and I'm forever going to be remembered. And he took pride in that. So much to the point that he's murdered hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Christians. And he, was, and he would brag about that. In this, here's what happens. People are scattered. As we go back a couple verses in Judea and Samaria, as we remember the story of a couple of Samaritans during the Gospels, it should ring some bells. So in verse 4, as we dig into this, we're going to see kind of a, a trend of what happens. Verse 4, so those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. Those who were scattered, it's not uh, just this random thing that happens. That word scattered is like scattering seeds. A farmer would scatter seeds into a tilled field, right? It's intentional where they're placed. God had intent in how these people were scattered. I think that, that translation's a little loose. It's an intentional placement of how these people were dispersed. And maybe they didn't see it, but we, got, we have to remember that in this chaos, when our lives are in chaos, God's in control and things fall into place just how he wants them to. Even though we think there's no purpose in this, God has a purpose in how everything falls into place and how, how your story is playing out. You see, where we see trouble and we see trials, God sees opportunities. And this has been the theme, our obstacles, our opportunities. God's theme through this wants us, I think we need to see that. There are these difficulties, there are these trials, and so many times we get hung up on the difficulty of our life instead of focusing on how God's going to turn us into something far greater than what it was before. God uses these difficulties in our life because the end result is for the glory of God. The end result, God will get the glory. And in this, this persecution that happens, that is happening, and these people are getting murdered, forcing people to leave their homes, forcing people to leave everything they know and just take the clothes on their back and what they can fit into their hands. It serves as an opportunity for the message to go beyond the city. This is the spread of the gospel. And if this doesn't happen, 
Christianity stays confined. But because it did, it gets dispersed across the world. And ultimately, these people, who were a lot brand new believers, they become accidental missionaries, right? They become missionaries into the world. Now, their intent isn't to go and to preach face to face, but they go and just live their life. And in the process of them living their life, they are discussing the gospel. It's something like this. You get sent out if you were dispersed and you knew that there was this, this uh, in, in our community, if we were being persecuted for being a Christian, if we as Christians were being brought out into the streets and murdered, well, we're leaving this community. We're going to go somewhere where our family's going to be safe. So we go to nearby cities where persecution's not as evident. And we go and we go into the, a, a, a grocery store or restaurant and we sit down and it's like, hey, you're new here, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm new. I'm new. Well, what, what brings you here? Well, we, my family and I, we're, we're Christians. You heard the story about Stephen, right? Heard the story of all those believers. Yeah, I, we wanted to get away, get away from that. So we went to a place that's more safe for my family. So we got away from it. Oh, well, what, why would you do that? Well, let me tell you about what Jesus has done in my life. The hope that's offered in my life. And because of that, we're so committed to this. And these are opportunities that happen naturally. You see, you can preach, as the scripture says, they went and they were preaching the word. It wasn't this formal preaching opportunity where they would stand up on the highest little rock they could get on and all those that would walk by and preach at them. This is casual conversations in, a, in their lives that they were having. And as they lived their life, they were being scattered to new cities beyond um, their comfort zones. They were sharing the gospel. They were sharing the gospel through their lives through normal conversations that weren't forced, but they embraced every opportunity that was given. And so many of us, we can say, man, I would love to share Jesus with someone. I just, I'm not comfortable. I'm afraid they're going to make fun of me. I'm afraid they're going to call something. I'm afraid I just get something wrong. I don't know the whole story of that. You know, I just believe myself. And that's, that, that, I'm just comfortable right there because that's my little zone of comfort. And if I start talking about Jesus, my heart starts racing and it just ain't, that ain't me. I'm going to leave that to you. No. It's casual conversations that we talk about where we were to where we are because of who he is. It's simple. We bring up Jesus in our lives. With casual conversations, we are preaching the word, just as scripture says. Live it and be, be bold about it. And we can be just like those early Christians who are going and preaching the word. It's just normal living our life and having those conversations with people that cross our paths. Most people don't come to Jesus. Who come to Jesus aren't, don't end up being professional preachers and, or evangelists. Right? In fact, most people don't start believing in Jesus because of something a preacher said, because of something an evangelist said. Most people come to Jesus because of what Normal people say to them, right? Us common folk, just living the life and sharing the good news with us. That is how you share the news. 
People just like us, sharing the good news with those around us. Being scattered. So, in this, those who were scattered went on their way, were preaching the word, and then this man named Philip comes up. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. Well, Philip's one of those Stephen guys. Remember those seven men that were selected? I just told you about the selected to become deacons in the church. Well, Philip was one of those. Philip, he was just doing his thing, serving the church, right? And he was one of them that went down to a city in Samaria. Well, the people that lived in Samaria, they were Samaritans. And if you remember, the Samaritans were looked down upon. They were these half-breed people, these incest half-breed people. How do we don't conversate with them? We don't mess with those type of people, the Jews would say. But what did Jesus say? The woman at the well was a Samaritan woman. Not only that, the good Samaritan, he was the example that Jesus gave for us to be like, to love one another. So Jesus lived life and loved the Samaritans. So Philip found his way there, and Jesus shares, hey, the gospel's even spread into the Samaria right? Anywhere into the world, even though Jews aren't embraced, there. Those two scenes right there. As Philip shares the news, in verse 6, the crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said. And as they listened, they saw signs that he was performing. You see, God is using Philip in such a way that miracles, lives were changing, possessed men and women were, were healed, Broken men and women, paralyzed, lame, were healed. For unclean spirits were crying out with a loud voice. It came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. People were taking notice. Jesus was being uh, made evident through great signs and great wonders, even through a common man like Philip. And because of this, the next verse we'll see, there was great joy in that city because God was being made known. Great joy happened. Let's see this journey of where we started in chapter 8, verse 1 to where we are in chapter 8, verse 8. Look at where we go from. We start out with a church being ravaged. This awful scene, this awful scene of people being murdered in their front doors. This awful scene of people being dragged, men and women. How dare you touch the women at that culture? How dare you? Men and women being dragged, brutally, savagely dragged out of their homes and in prison and murdered. This is an awful scene. Look what's happening. Oh no, God's losing again. This is an awful scene. Don't forget, don't forget that God's in control. What always happens, that God takes these awful scenes and turns them into a scene for his glory. So it goes from a scene of people being ravaged and running away. What happened? They become scattered and dispersed. The spread of the gospel happens. Because they were forced out of their homes, they were forced out of their comfort zones, they were forced into the world to share the good news. Because they were believers, they were going to share it with whoever came across them. And that spread 
of the gospel was forced from this scene where it was concentrated of so many believers in the same city, in the same area, they were dispersed into the world because they were forced out there. God had his hand in that. As men and women were being ravaged, the world gets to hear about Jesus Christ. And because the world gets to hear about Jesus Christ, what happens in this city in Samaria? Great joy. The first fruit of the Spirit, joy. Great joy happens. Not just this, this, this external happiness, but a joy that's indescribable happens in this city because God is being made known. And people's lives are changing. People's lives are changing. The, 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 the lame, the paralyzed are being healed. Those who are possessed are made clean. God is making his, his name known in this city. So we take this scene, church, we take this scene and we can put our life right into this. Our life right into this. We are, some of us are here today and we're in a, at a place in our life where we feel like our world is being ravaged. Our world has been turned upside down and it's one of the, it, it, it's something that you're ready to just get past and move on from. You're ready for a new chapter. You say, God, why have I had this, this situation in my life right now? I wish it wasn't going on. The city's being ravaged. But there was purpose. There's purpose in, in your pain right now because God's going to use this to turn it into something brand new that you don't see and you didn't realize was happening. God's going to take this as an opportunity to make himself known. Great things are going to happen in your life if you allow it. Because God's making himself known. God has a bigger plan in your pain. And ultimately, at the end of this, great joy will come. Great joy can come. And we have to trust God in our pains. As Alyssa comes up, we're going to sing together. I want us to think about this. We're at a point in our life, and many of us can say, I'm a believer or not. But many of us are going to say right now, Lord, I need something. This is a tough time. And I need you to give me light at the end of this tunnel. And what God's going to tell us is that I've already given myself. I've already given you Jesus. And Jesus is the only hope you need. For all the pains that's going to come, all the trials that you're going to face, there is hope. And that hope can live within you if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is the Messiah. And you embrace that in your life. There is hope. Once we see things from not just our eyes, but from God's perspective, and we try more and more to understand and to trust Christians, we trust that God's in control. And then we realize, okay, Lord, your will and not mine. Your will be done and not mine. We don't have to struggle and suffer. Instead, we grasp onto hope. Because hope is far greater than any trial, any ravaging of our life that might happen.
That hope is what we embrace today.